Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 273 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. So, the first game after the All-Star break, the Bruins no-show to Calgary. The second game after the All-Star break, they turn it right around. Bridget, I'll throw it right to you with the opening shifts. An impressive win over the Vancouver Canucks, 4 to nothing. Yeah, uh, really couldn't have possibly looked more different than the first game. Um, and, you know... Talking to coach and the players after that that Tuesday game, it was like, yeah, we, we just weren't ready. And, and they said, you know, practice went fine, but for whatever reason in the game, they, they just had really nothing for the entire game. And then um, when they immediately took a penalty against Calgary, I'm like, oh, no, here we go again. But then Marshawn scores shorthanded immediately. Um, and you're like, okay, this game looks like it's going to be different. Uh, it's not going to be like Tuesday. And then Zaka scores, and then, like, uh, you get the sense, like, okay, people have their legs under them. Uh, it, it, it looks totally different. You, you know, you already battle back from adversity being on the penalty kill scoring, and then um, we'll get into it more, but two shorthanded goals in the same game was first time this season. It does not happen very often. Um, but, yeah, all in all, just a complete uh, 180 from Tuesday to Thursday and even some of the players were kind of joking about it after the game. Lindholm was like, yeah, we were joking. This was our first game back um, because they know that they know show it on Tuesday. Yeah. So my opening shift is directly tied to those two shorthanded goals in the first period that put the Bruins up to nothing and essentially set the tone for the night. Um, Charlie Coyle right in the middle of both gets assists on both of them. Uh, you know, the, the first one, it's Marshan puts Demko under a little bit of pressure on the forecheck. Coyle in the right spot to pick up the pick off the pass up the boards and sets up Marshan in front. Uh, second one, he forces the turnover in the defensive zone, kind of picks GT Miller's pocket and then sends Danton Heinen off the other way for, for a great finish. And it's it's interesting because the Bruins penalty kill in general has not been good enough recently like it has definitely slid over the last couple months in terms of percentages um but yet they've started scoring some shorthanded goals they now have five in their last 15 games which is the most in the nhl in that time and it's like yeah obviously 
first and foremost, you want to get your structure back in the penalty kill. You want to not take as many penalties. Uh, so those are still key areas to focus on that they have to improve. But in the meantime, like, you know, if you're being aggressive and at least taking taking some chances and scoring some shorthanded goals, that helps offset some of it. And in the case of Thursday night, um, completely swung the game. You know, that, that could have – Vancouver has a really good power play. You, you put them on a couple early ones like that. Really could have gone the other way, and instead – the Bruins end up with with all the momentum and the Canucks just, um, you know, you could tell like sort of all their energy was just sapped right out of the gate in, in the first period. Yeah, after their third, they had three power plays after. Well, I mean, they had more than that, but like talking about their first three power plays after that third one, the Bruins were out shooting them 14 to six and they had the power play time Bruins had it, and the Bruins had also scored two shorthanded goals. It was like complete it, it, it just the stats did not look good for their for their power play um and also I tweeted this out but that was Dan Heinen's second ever shorthanded goal the last like it's been a long time since he scored a shorthanded goal the last time and the only other time that he did it was in 2017 October of 2017 when he was with the Bruins the first time and, and meanwhile meanwhile for Marchand 35th of his career which is now Tied for ninth all time. He's into the top 10 in NHL history, which, you know, we know him for a long time. He's a great shorthanded player. And obviously for years and years, it was with Bergeron as the other forward out next to him. And now this year he continues to do it with usually Coyle as his main partner now. So, um, you know, just, I said before, like, I, I think he is a future hockey hall of famer. And, and that's part of it is that, his whole career he's been a penalty killer and been very good at it and been quite frankly dangerous at at, at it um to, to opposing teams yeah and he's he's two points away from having a like to reaching 50 points which would be his 11th 50 point season and then like you look at how many 60 point seasons he's had like and then you go up and up from there it's like yeah this guy's a hall of famer however i don't think anyone's ever catching gretzky for the shorthanded goal uh, <laughs> like, no. Gretzky with like 79 or something like that. And then everybody 73, else. 73, yeah. Then everybody else is, is it's a big jump down. Uh, and Marshawn's, like you mentioned, ninth at 35. And it's like, there's, there's no way he's catching 73. <laughs> yeah, so you guys bring up some good points off the top. I mean, Bridget, your 180 take is um, definitely of note. And we'll get into, you know, just kind of how they need to play uh, going forward, the second half of the season obviously needs to be a lot closer to what they did against Vancouver than Calgary. And and, and Scott, you mentioned the shorthanded goals. Also, you guys mentioned Danton Heinen, who, again, just such a such a high value add for the Bruins um, this season, entering the regular season, still not under contract. And you know, Danton Heinen has just been a great story for them and, and a, an important contributor, especially in the bottom six of their lineup. And um, yeah, that shorthanded goal was. That was, that was a goal scorer's goal. That was a confident shot, confident puck protection, confident speed. Lot to love on that play. My opening shift is probably where we might start the majority of the podcast due to its personnel implications on the roster. But the Matt Potra experience this season has come to an end officially. He underwent successful right shoulder surgery on February 7th, ending his season. I believe it's about a five-month recovery time. And... I guess just 
What's your initial reactions to that, Bridget and Scott? Because the Matt Potter experience seems to, first of all, as we currently speak, is still very promising. But this season, in, in preseason, he was so eye-opening that he not only got, caught the attention of Bruins fans watching, he caught the attention of management because they gave him an opening night spot on the roster and started the year off as a productive forward for them on a score sheet. And I don't know, things just kind of quickly went south, and, and it didn't really start with maybe his play. It kind of started with Montgomery just kind of benching him at times, um, more so kind of because he was young and maybe just wasn't trusted in key moments, but kind of started there, whether you agree with it or not. Then, you know, they had some some timed or scheduled um, scratches for him. Yeah, like load management. I load say. management. And then he goes to World Juniors and he comes back. And just It just never really seemed like he got back to where he was earlier in the year. And it kind of seemed like it, there was a snowball effect, just objectively speaking, of like his production going down. And, and he was kind of offensively anemic the last month or so. And then... You know, he's battling injuries, of course, and, you know, leads to a, a um, you know, a, a season-ending shoulder surgery. So I guess it's two-pronged. Uh, first to you guys, what, were, what was your reaction? How do you feel about it in general, uh, the effect that his presence not being there this year could have on the team? And then, um, you know, do they try to just fill that void internally, externally at the trade deadlines? Does it change the team's approach at all in the bottom six this year? Well, yeah, so I'll start with, you know, his season kind of going sideways over the last month plus. And I I still have no problem with sending him to World Juniors. I know some people are going to kind of start it there and say that's when it sort of went off the rails. But to me, really, it, it all comes down to the injury, which was in his third game back. So it's not even like he really had much ramp up time. Um, people might remember it. it happened in that Arizona game, mm -hmm. uh, January 9th. He, he threw it, he threw a check and the injury didn't actually happen on the hit itself. It happened as he fell to the ice. He kind of yeah, reached he out like to, to break his fall and, and just caught his shoulder awkwardly. Um, and then, yeah, you know, he missed a little bit of time after that, came back, played a few games, then missed the last game before the break against Philly. And, um, you know, whether it was a – I don't think it was a smokescreen. I think Jim Montgomery legitimately thought things were trending in the right direction coming back from the break, and obviously they weren't. I, I can say um, watching Monday's practice, there was a drill where he, he took a shot and then, like, immediately grabbed that shoulder and kind of did the, the old, like, baseball kind of, like, you know, move it around type thing. And I was like, yeah, like that clearly still bothering him. Obviously, he goes to a doctor's appointment on Tuesday, and that's when the decision gets finalized to have surgery. So I'm sure he was battling through it. I'm sure there were probably a couple re-aggravations along the way. Um, and so I, I almost I almost throw out like this whole last month and say it was the injury. Like it was the injury that caused the decline in production, probably some of the decline in minutes, um, maybe, you know, needing more time off. Like it's just tough. And I think for him, you know, you get it done now, 
He's ready to go by July. You get pretty much a full summer of training going into training camp and preseason next year. And obviously, you know, he's going to have to use it to, I I say bulk up. I guess really what I mean is just get stronger, like get more playing strength because I think it was evident at times that like he got banged around pretty good. And, and, you know, so some of that is like pure strength and part of it is also learning how to take hits, how to avoid hits, just how to get yourself into better positions. Um, and, and be able to last, you know, a whole season because it's a little bit of a freak injury, but there's no question like he was getting banged up even outside of that. So, um, you know, I think definitely the right thing to do to get it done now. Montgomery talked about how maybe they could have tried to manage it, you know, keep it going through the end of the season. But then he he almost certainly would have needed surgery no matter what. And then if you get it done in the off season, you're talking about him not being back till, you know, November, December. And now you're, now you've had no off season training. So like that just, it, it would, that almost would have like cost him all of next year too, in terms of being able to develop physically. Yeah. And he probably wouldn't have been super effective anyway, trying to play through it. So it's like, you're getting a diminished like 70% or 80, you know what I mean? Whatever the percentage may be, it's not a hundred percent. And then you're also setting it back. And it's just unfortunate for him because I remember that when he landed on the ice uh, and you could see him like immediately kind of like hold the shoulder area and um, it looked awkward. And that was exactly a month ago. I just looked it up. Um, It was January 9th. Um, So, you know, it, it just it stinks for him. His season was really like in the beginning, it was it was so positive. And then things just started happening that it was like, okay, well, here's a little setback. And then obviously season ending surgery is the ultimate setback for, for anyone. And especially when you're a rookie um, to have that cut short, especially on a team like the Bruins who are in first place and you're thinking, okay, you know, I get my first taste of the Stanley cup playoffs this year. And then, you know, that's going to have to wait. Um, so when you're on a team like Boston, it hurts extra because you're thinking, I want to be with the guys on this playoff run. I'm sure it's going to be painful for him, like emotionally to just have to watch that, um, and not be a part of it on the ice. And, and, you know, it, you, all that kind of stuff, uh, factors into just kind of the emotional roller coaster that is having your season ended by, by injury. Yeah, and look, I, I think it's definitely a, a net positive for him. I mean, he's gotten his feet wet in the National Hockey League. Um, he 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 knows now what it what it what it means to be uh, an NHLer. And I think to Scott, to your point, like he's going to have to, like all NHLers do, especially when you enter the league at a young age. But every summer you try to you know put on you know size and strength. But Patra now knows exactly why that is, and I, I do think that some of his fragility is is due to youth and, 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 uh, immaturity physically, but it's also kind of bad luck too, like all injuries can be. Um, so he's definitely an important part of their future, but he's not a part of their future in the next, uh, you know, four months, three, four, three months, four months of playoff hockey. If they, if, if they get that far. So, so where does the team go from here? Yeah. So, you know, in the immediate short term, obviously they're sticking with as, as their four centers right now, 
Coiled, Zaka, Geeky, Boakvist. Um, Frederick can shift over and play some center if needed to. I do wonder if that's how it stays or if they now look at, okay, do we need another option? Um, you know, that they, they have a cut and that doesn't necessarily mean trade. That means what do you have in Providence? It, is Johnny Beecher coming back this year? Do you think he's taken steps since going down to Providence to grow his game in the ways you wanted him to? And, you know, you, you look at him and think, okay, he can come back up and help us at some point. Because, look, I think Beecher does a lot of the things that we feel like they could use. He's he's good on face-offs. Um, generally, he's pretty good defensively, although I think there were times that slipped this year. Um, has speed. He's physical. Um, by the way, did, did you guys see the NHL this week, like, readjusted all their hits stats? And guys' games, like, some guys get like multiple Bruins games, like 20 plus hits for the season. It's like Garnet Hathaway picked up like 45 more hits. Like just, just weird how, anyways. But, how, but, but, but how did it accidental? How's that the case? Like, like aren't, isn't a body check pretty, pretty basic? Like, well, hits I, are like, they're pretty subjective in terms of like how much contact, like it takes they, for it to yeah. be a hit. But I would say they've never been tracked, especially they're because they are very random from rank to rank, which is why like some teams will have like a, a lot more hits at home than on the road. And it's like, well, yeah, that's because, you know, the guy scoring it at home is giving every little bump as a hit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess, I guess the NHL just felt like they were like so far off that they actually had to, they literally had people go through every game and like retract them, which whatever. I don't know. I guess they thought that was important, but um, anyways, not, not my point. Uh, you know, but Beecher brings some physicality. I think he, he's still even being down as long as he, he's been like fourth on the team in hits. Um, the question is, you know, do you trust him? Do you think he can get there this season? Georgie Merkulov's down there. Does he get another chance at some point? Right right now, their their first call up to fill out the roster uh, was Anthony Richard. Um, we'll see if he we see him in game action, but he's he's a winger anyways, not a center. So you know, look at internal options if you think you might need some help or or go out on the trade market, which we already thought, you know, they might potentially look for a center somewhere. Even if it's not, you know, your Elias Lindholm, Sean Monahan, you know, maybe like a Nick Dowd was someone I mentioned before, something like that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, now knowing that you don't have Potter, it's like that's obviously one option who's played a lot of center for you this year that's that's gone. So you have to decide uh, if, if you think you're going to have enough or if that needs to be supplemented from the outside. By the way, just like while you mentioned Anthony Richard, we're probably not going to talk about him too much this podcast, but someone did ask Montgomery post game about him. And he said, um, uh, they're hoping for him to, to bring speed. I guess he's, he's a pretty fast player. Um, but yeah, they, they don't really know exactly where they're slotting him in yet. It sounded like, um, but uh, I mean, so, I, think, so he, I think realistically, he's probably the thirteenth forward, and you know, maybe he yeah. rotates in at some point. But that—that's, I think that's why. Like, I know everyone's like, "Why did they bring up Fabian Lysel? He's been on a heater too." And it's like, well, if you just bring a guy up to be a thirteenth forward, and he's gonna be yeah. sitting four out of every five games, like, not helpful. Yeah. yeah. 
But to that point, though, like whenever they call somebody up with the intention of not filling popcorn for the players in between, in between the uh, periods, like I look, I know there's I I know Fabian Lysel is a, he's he's a right winger. Um, you know, Patro is slotted to play center, but I just feel like at the end of the day, ultimately, you're down a skill player. You're down a skill forward. So I think that needs to be replaced with something, you know, not not exactly the same, but so, something with a similar ceiling, right? Like, you don't want to replace Matt Potra's season-ending injury with, with Jacob Loco on the third line. It, it's just not – especially when you have an internal options. Like, I, I always come back to this, and I understand it comes down to the players performing and, and building that trust in the, in the organization – but when you have promising prospects plus opportunity, I don't I, I, I don't like when when teams waste their organizational depth. Like what's the point then? Like it, it'd be one thing if the Bruins were, were were healthy and they were clicking on, on on all cylinders, which you know they're playing well. But when when you find out that Matt Potra is down for the season and combine that with Lysel playing well. I just don't see why they can't find a way to bring him up just to give him an opportunity. Kind of like what we talked about with Georgie Merkulov earlier this year, but I just don't want to see them waste their system when you have opportunity and promising prospects that seem to be deserving of a call-up soon. Do you mean like put them on the third line instead of Lauka and like move yes. Lauka back to the fourth line? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing is like there is clearly space in this lineup right now for – a skilled player because you can easily listen like Oscar steam, you know, appreciate the hustle, but he doesn't have to be an every night player. Uh, you can easily bump Lauko down to the fourth line. Say, you know, that gives you a fourth line of Lauko, Bogvist, Heinen, which I actually think could be pretty good. Um, and then, you know, put Fabian Lysel with geeky and Frederick or, or if it's Murky Lava gets called up. Like there, there is room there. I think to, Maybe not top six, but like certainly third line. I feel like there's, you know, a pretty easy path towards putting someone there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, but so this is just the sense that I get after Merkulov's like call up is that there's there was still a lot like defensively to work on. And we know that he's been getting better at that over time. Like that was one of his main things out of college. Like, OK, he's got to be more of a 200 foot center and, and he's gotten better and better at that um, in Providence. But he's still not like, can he still do that at an NHL level? Like, is he ready to do that at an NHL level? And he had restri- restricted minutes. And it just felt like there was there wasn't a hundred percent faith in his ability on the defensive side. Um, so if you're talking about him coming in and playing one of those center roles, either on the third or fourth line, um, I I just don't see that as like if we're talking about like who's going to be the guy there in the playoffs. Like I, it's not George Merkloff, I don't think. So like who is it going to be? Like you kind of kind of have to figure that out now. Or look externally and figure out target someone now. Like 
now before the trade deadline, who's going to be that guy in the playoffs? Because that's what you got to find out. Yeah, and that's that that's fair. But to your point, he did he didn't get. In my opinion, he didn't get a fair shake when he was up here. It was almost he didn't. like a, it was such a small sample size. We barely had um, yeah. you know enough to even go off of. But that tells me that they didn't trust him a hundred percent. But they all well, that's yes. But it's also tough to trust somebody when it's like you know their first NHL action. But it's also different now because it, there was there was an element of placeholder. Uh, nature to, to to his last call up because Potra was still around, just you know he wasn't around at the time. But with his season ending injury, it kind of changes things, right? And and as far as the desire for two hundred foot hockey players, I totally get that. The problem is people only talk about two hundred foot hockey players sometimes when it pertains to like they're not good enough defensively. Well, the Bruins have a handful of forwards in the bottom of their lineup that aren't two hundred foot hockey players because they provide no offense. Like Oscar Steve's not a two hundred foot hockey player. He's a, he's a, okay, maybe he gets the puck out of his zone, like when the, the, the four times it touches a stick a game. But Lauko doesn't really score, as we know. Steen doesn't score. Boquist is like yet to really score. So, uh, and, 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 and I'm not saying that these players aren't deserving. I'm just saying they haven't earned anything as far as playoff hockey, Bridget, right? To your point, like, um, uh, Merkulov or Lysel could come up and they might have things to work on defensively. <clears throat> so did Patra. Um, but they also have, they can also bring offensive dynamics to them that the other players can't at all bring. So they're not 200 foot hockey players either. So I just don't like Jacob Lauko does not do a nearly, he, he, he's an energizer bunny, like when he wants to be, but he doesn't do enough for me, uh, shift in and shift out to, to tell me, oh yeah, when the playoffs start, he's like a lock for a fourth line role. Uh, same with Boquist, Beecher's down in Providence. All these guys have things to earn. I would say the only player in the bottom six uh, or uh, in that fourth line capacity right now that I think has earned a spot for sure is is Danton Heinen, right? And, and sometimes he's in the third line role. So Geeky, Frederick, Heinen, those bottom six quote-unquote players, they're locks. But in my opinion, there's two spots for sure on that fourth line that it's anybody's game. And I know Merkulov and Lysel are not probably fourth liners, obviously. So there's a plug and play nature to that. Um, but the whole, you got to be a 200 foot hockey player to be trusted. That's great. But how many guys are actually 200 foot hockey players in the bottom six? <laughs> well, I right. guess the, the uh, back 100, like the defensive 100 is <laughs> what they care about, like first and foremost. And then they hope you can do the, the offensive 100 as well. That's fair. Prioritizing defense defensive game first i i do agree with that and that's a good point i was just making a larger point about like there's a lot of no it was kind of funny because you're right some of them haven't scored much at all and don't like bring that element necessarily like a dangerous goal scorer or playmaker to the table yeah and by the way like worth noting that you mentioned heinen you know can play a third line role heinen geeky frederick can be a really good third line and then it comes back to you know solidifying your fourth line however you want to do that. Cause I don't, I don't think I'd be comfortable if it's game one of the playoffs right now. Lauko Bogvist Steen, honestly is like a bit of an underwhelming fourth line. Like that, that feels like a line that you're in a, the playoffs. You're maybe giving like five minutes of ice time to. Um, they, they got a lot of time 
yesterday, but that's probably because the game was yeah. out of reach for a while. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, absolutely. Throw them minutes in a game like that. Like, save Pasternak, Marsha, and, you know, rein those guys back. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, you know, I still think – so even if you take that approach where it's – you know, maybe you prioritize defense. We've talked about that at the deadline, and then it's let's look for something cheaper on the fourth line. Like, I, I think that's fine too, but I, regardless, I feel like there's there's some solidifying to do there, whether it's, you know, a legitimate third liner trying to figure that out and keep Heinen on the fourth line, or, you know, put Heinen on the third line where I think he'll be absolutely fine, and then solidify your fourth line in some way, because um, I don't think that they're there quite yet and now knowing that you're not gonna have potter like we had talked about you know that was a potential third line option okay that's gone so you're you're an option short now so they do have to figure out you know if they think they're gonna have that internally and listen there's not there's not a lot of time to figure it out we're now less than a month from the trade deadline march 8th so we're talking about like you know merkulov or lysel or whatever getting a look and it's like well if that's going to happen, it has to happen almost immediately. Like if you're, if you're not going to do that now, then you're not doing that after the trade deadline, you know, like you're not doing that the last two weeks of the regular season. So um, if that doesn't happen now, then I think they, they should be looking externally to, to solidify that group. Yeah. And again, this is about optimal. Like you don't want to, you don't want to sell assets that you um, value without knowing like you can't, you don't have those options internally, right? Like I'm not sitting here pounding the table, asking for Lysel and Merkulov to be, you know, uh, playoff round one, game one, third liners. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you at least have to see what you have. You have to give them an opportunity because, because there's openings, right? There's an opening right now with Patra. And then there's like indirect openings with some, some of the other guys, because they haven't solidified their places in my opinion. So like, if, how can you, if you decide you want to go external, that's fine. But I think you need to see what you have internally first, because if you want to go get something inter- externally, you're going to have to give something up. Um, maybe it's not a player. Maybe it's, you know, mid round picks or something for a fourth line grinder. That's great. Or a third liner. But I just think you owe it to your organization and the players to see what you have because there's opportunity here. And, and if you decide to go external after that, that's fine. But you have to at least you have to do your homework here, and I think it's the only. I, I just think it's being responsible. I don't think it's being like we want Lysel. Like no, it, it's being a responsible. You know, uh, manager of of people and, and assets, and and that's and to your point, Scott. There, there's not a ton of time, so yeah, I just think they should give Merkulov an extended look or give Lysel his first look because that Merkulov first look was a joke. It was a joke. He had yeah. limited ice time, and, and and they didn't utilize him the way that they they should have um, for the purpose of a tryout. Like if you want to see what somebody could do, give them more of a look. One of those two guys should get an opportunity. And yeah, I feel very comfortable with Dan. If Dan Heinen's in your fourth line, it's amazing how much more comfortable I feel in the team's depth. If he's on their fourth line uh, as opposed to their third line, because he is really steady. To, to keep to like the internal solution conversation um, before we maybe look more at some external options, like, you know, because that's also, um potentially what they might have to do but so to talk about like in the meantime like right now calling up someone like Lysel 
um, or Merkulov, what it also does is reward your players for what they've been doing in Providence. Maybe give them a confidence boost, like maybe give them like, you know, specifically talking about lifestyle, like he, maybe he gets a taste of it and, and all of a sudden he's energized and motivated and, and you know, he starts um, bringing out his, you know, a, a better level of his game or, you know, maybe working with um, Boston helps him learn something at a different level, what have you. Um, but it also pushes the rest of the players that are in the lineup. Like it creates internal competition and the more internal competition that you have um, at this point, you, you assume that it pushes players to be better and get better so that someone like say Boquist or Steen, you know, works harder to not lose that spot in the lineup. So um, there, there's a lot of reasons too. And, and like we mentioned already, uh, first of all, to see what you have and see if you need to go outside and find something different. But um, there's a lot of reasons to do it sooner rather than later. Um, get a look at those guys. And I have a question for you too. Would you be surprised? Like, would it be a shock to you if at zero point during this next month with, like we mentioned, Patria not coming back, they don't get a look at a few of these players, Lysel and Beecher in particular. I feel like this is the time to, to give, you know, see if Beecher can handle another chance. And really this is Lysel's opportunity as well. Um, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't call those guys up, honestly. Um, I think, you know, that there's certain things they, I'm sure that they want to make sure they see from them in Providence before you reward them or, or think they can contribute at the NHL level. And I mean, they weren't the call up right now. Anthony Richard was, and we'll see how long he stays up or whether he plays or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I'd have to say like, there's gotta be some reason why it wasn't immediately one of those guys. And I don't really think it was cap related. Technically as of right now, they wouldn't have the cap space to call up Beecher or Lysel or Merkulov. Um, Richard is, is cheaper than all of them. But they can they can just put Potter on long term IR and then you have more cap space. So I don't really think that's a factor. Um, but yeah, I, I would like like I would like to see one or two or you know whatever, even some sort of rotation, right? Like maybe you call Lysel up knowing knowing it's going to be short term because he's not quite there. But um, Bridget, to your point about like rewarding a guy, Lysel's been playing really well in Providence recently um you know but before their all-star break so you know g- give him a look bring him up reward him for his play and then you get to because I, I think honestly i think that was probably the biggest part of the Merkulov recall was like he deserved it and even if they didn't think he was ready to be part of the the long-term solution in boston yet um you at least give him a look and then you can send him back with with the message of like hey you got a taste here's you know here's what worked here's what didn't here's what we needed to improve on like you just saw it firsthand now you know type thing and it's encouraging like it's not like it could be a boost to someone who's you know feeling maybe a little bit fatigued mentally or physically it's like okay they are noticing the work that i'm putting in it doesn't feel like it was for nothing right like being an ahl player is not easy 
it's a grind and you sometimes are like, is this ever going to pay off for me? So when you do get a taste of it, when you do get called up, it's like, okay, I have, my work wasn't for nothing. Like I'm getting notice. I'm getting closer. It's just mentally encouraging to know you're on the right track. Yeah, it is. And I was just looking up something real quick. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I'm really trying to be patient too. Um, cause Fabian Lysel is only 21 years old, but I also feel like, again, like when, when Matt Potter is 19, I also like, feel like it's like, and I'll say the word like one more time. Um, I feel like <laughs> I, they, they should definitely give him an opportunity at some point because he's not 18 years old. And to your question, Bridget, I, I wouldn't say I'd be surprised if they don't, because nothing surprises me with the Bruins, but I would certainly be disappointed. Like I, 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 it definitely should be something that the Bruins themselves should be saying, let's see what he can do. He's 21 years old. I don't know when he's turning 22. It could be soon. It could be almost a year from now. I don't know, but I just, I, I think you just have to see what you have internally. He's been playing well. If he was not playing well in Providence, like he was, you know, at times last year and, and earlier this year, then that's one thing you got to earn your stripes, but it seems like he's earning the opportunity and there's an opportunity available in Boston. So they should, you know, I think it would be yeah. stupid not to. And like, you know, if you're like Sal, you look around, you see, you know, Beecher gets an NHL chance after one professional season in Providence. Merkulov gets a look after, you know, almost one and a half pro seasons in Providence. Lori, not even a, a full season in Providence before he gets called up. And I, I know everything's different and everyone has to earn everything. Like I get that, but Lysel, like you could be looking at, you know, two full seasons. If he doesn't get called up at some point, the second half, you know, two full seasons in Providence without a call up, like, I, I don't know. I ultimately, like I listen, you, you got to fight through, you got to work, you got to deal with it. Like I, you know, I, I don't feel too, too bad about it but um you do wonder like if that if that could affect him a little bit or you know you would hope he's the kind of player where okay that gives him an extra drive going into the summer and he says you know i'm, I'm not going to make it 3 years i'm i'm making the bruins next season but i don't know like what what if it goes the other way where like now his confidence is shot or or something like who knows wasn't he was he injured at that point last because we know he ended the season with a concussion the last little bit of the season sometimes they get players in you know they're like they resting other other people like I feel like that would be a slap in the face if the Bruins waited for like the last week of the season to rest other players to put him in yeah no it, it would just be again what he, he you put him in the last week of the season while other guys are resting he goes off are you going to put him in the playoffs? No, because it's like you went all year without him, right? But, uh, yeah, I, I just – at the end of the day, for, for the, the skill's always been there for him. We, we had a guest a couple of years ago that said Lysel was – you know, he, he was pretty close to potentially being the highest skilled forward in his draft class. He fell for, for, for reasons, but, like, his skill is there, right? It's never been a question of skill. It's always been a question – not a question, but it's always been about – um, the uh, the, IQ, the hockey IQ at the, at the highest level and, you know, just the, the, the small details and the work ethic. So 
if those if those elements are are showing now in Providence, it's it just seems to me that I don't understand why they wouldn't do it just just for a week or two. What's what's the harm? Like what's what's the harm? He has to go back down to Providence. Right? He's already there. So, um, I agree. I I want to. I mean, and we tend to lean this way a lot. Like we want we want to see. We want another look. Like. Um, we don't have a lot of time in our lives to go watch games in Providence. So like we want, and, and by the way, that only tells you so much because those are not NHLers that they're playing against. Um, like it's a different speed. It's a different league. Um, we just like to be able to see it ourselves. And I think pretty much, um, a lot of the Bruins fans agree. Like they want to see it too. Like they want to know where this guy's at, um, and, and be able to watch, him play, you know, on maybe on the third line, give you a better sense. Now, what would actually happen if you get called up? Would he actually be given enough ice time for us to see a sample size? That also remains to be like, that also might not even happen. Like we saw with Merkulov, but um, it would be nice. Um, did you guys want to go to up and down? Yes. Who's up? Who's down? Or do we still have thoughts on this? No, I definitely don't this. I didn't know if we wanted to actually talk about anything with the game or, yeah, just go to ups and downs. But oh, Yeah, they played well, last night. <laughs> yeah, well, no, a, a pretty, way, pretty big game, top two teams in the NHL. Right. Well, but that will come up, like, in this in this naturally, yeah. I believe. So um, so let's, let's hit up and down. And we were talking about this. We always kind of, like, go over this before we start the podcast. Like, oh, you know, just, like, get a general idea. Do we have, like, two that are up, three that are down, whatever. And it was basically the split is everybody was down Tuesday and then like pretty much everyone was back up Thursday. Right. Yeah. Um, one one guy I'll start with specifically though, Pavel Zaka. Um, now has two goals in two games since the break, uh, you know, scores, finishing off a nice pass from Van Riemsdyk um, in Thursday's game. Also picked up an assist on, on the flukiest goal of the year. <laughs> which the, the assist part of it was actually pretty nice. Like he sets up Pasenak for a one time in the high slot. Um, Pasenak stick shatters, pucks fluttering around the sticks, 40 feet in the air. Geeky just gets a piece of it and it goes off Demko off Tyler Myers and trickles over the line. But um, yes, yeah, Zach has got a four game point streak. Now we had, you know, again, that last game right before break, he really clicked with, Van Riemsdyk and Pasternak. They've mostly kept that line together since then. They were together again on Thursday um, and had another strong game. So, you know, I think Zaka has played pretty well most of the season, but there had been a dip in offensive production there for a little bit. So definitely encouraging to see that coming back. And um, he's, he's picked up in a good spot after break. How dare you call that geeky goal a fluky goal? That was all hand eye right there. Well, well the fact Man that was, it was on the ground still figured out where the puck was and got a stick on it. The fact that it was still credited to Pasternak until seven a.m. this morning. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, by they the way, changed though, it. They changed it twice last night. They had it as geek. They had it as geeky first, right? And then they had it as Pasternak. Then they changed it back to geeky. So yeah. they did think originally it was. And I thought when I saw one of the slowed down replays, like that Nesson had immediately after, I did thought did think he got a stick on it. Um, 
And it turns out that he did. Uh, and, and Montgomery was joking after the game that he's a baseball player. Like he was a baseball player and he tells everybody that he was a baseball player. And uh, that was probably where he got the hand-eye coordination from. But I, I thought it was a good goal. I, I give him more credit than maybe other people do because I'm, if you watch it slow I mean, down, he sees the puck coming and he gets a stick on it. He does. And he's sitting on the ground. Like, I don't know how he did it. Yes, but but I would note it still had to hit two more bodies before it actually went in. Even after. yeah, but he knew what he was doing is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't like it hit him in the you know in the butt and went in. <laughs> yeah, it um, it also looks like Charlie Coyle has at least a five game point streak right now. I want to see if it extends beyond his. Uh, let me see. Um, he's it. Coyle has a bit of a streak going here. Holy, holy, hold on a second. Let me for, forgive my um my lack of speaking right now, but the, the list is getting longer and longer. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Coyle's got a ten game yeah. point streak right now. Wow. He so was he's, actually he's the up. first person. He was actually the first person I thought of when we were talking about like who is a noticeable up. Um, shorthanded, he assisted on both of those goals, and and it the, those plays don't start if he's not stealing the puck and, and finding the open guy, like he made, he anticipated both of those passes, picked the puck off, threw it to Marshawn out front. Um, also made the steal in the neutral zone on the Heinen one. And then Heinen goes on a, like a one-on-one slash breakaway. Cause he was able to get by Pedersen, but um, Coyle starts both of those plays. So he gets mm. assists on both of those goals and he's just such a good penalty killer. We've talked about this before is one of his strengths yeah. that, that he brings to the team and, and you see it and he's such a good team player. So he's been getting rewarded uh, and it's been pretty obvious that his game has picked up, like you mm. said, Brian, past 10 games. And and you, you saw it for sure in the Vancouver game. Yeah. Kevin Paul DuPont. Usually I have the guys are on pace for X point stats, but in this case, Kevin Paul DuPont last night tweeted, Coyle now on pace for 72 points, which would be the, the most by a Bruins center since the 18-19 season when Bergeron had 79 and Krejci had 73. So most by on pace to have the most points by a Bruins center in five years. So and that was one of the best teams the Bruins that like one of the best seasons the Bruins ever had. And then unfortunately we know what happened in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but um and would so, you, did you guys think that that was what Coyle's ceiling was this season? Like, would no, you have said 70 no. point season for him? I thought like maybe get into the fifties, push 60. Like, no, yeah. he's, he's at least 10 to 15 points ahead of where. I yes. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I, you know, you, you'll hear certain for the most part, for the most part, everybody has been giving Charlie Coyle his, his just due this year. You will see the rare instance where somebody will say, well, what do you expect? He's getting all this ice time now. He's playing with passion. It's like, hold on, timeout. First of all, ice time does not guarantee point production. And Charlie Coyle has the, – the, the Bruins' top six has been in flux all year. It, it, there's been different combinations throughout. It's not like he's been with Pashnak and Marshand all year. It's it, He's had to adapt and, and, and adjust to different line mates. And, and, I mean, to say he's playing the best hockey of his career is, is obvious. Um, but it's – especially in a, in a city like Boston to, to not just meet, but exceed those expectations. Uh, it's, it's really impressive. And, and, and he's definitely, um, he's been up all year he, and he's, 
once again and up right now. I mean, if we had to go with a down the whole team Tuesday, sure. Um, I guess including that would be Jeremy Swayman. Yeah, I was gonna say Swayman didn't have his best yeah. game. But you know, that's a one game thing. It's you're not gonna we're not gonna crucify him for that. Uh, yeah. Derek Forbert, people aren't high on Forbert, haven't been all year. You know, I, I don't I never had high expectations for Forbert. He was always kind of a shutdown third pair D guy in the PK for me, so I never had a huge ceiling for him. Um, but people just have been down his throat since the jump, and I guess lately he's had more reason to have not as, as many fans. Yeah, I mean, Tuesday, he went, Forbert was really sloppy for sure. Again, not alone, but definitely noticed, like, a few really bad turnovers from him. Um, you know, the, the, look, this is another, like, interesting story to follow, because I, I think you have to give Forbert a chance to get his game back and, and build up and get his timing down, get into some sort of rhythm. You know, I know I understand like the temptation of everyone's like third pairing should just be Wotherspoon and Shattenkirk. And that may end up being the case, but I think you owe it to yourselves and to Forber to like, see what level he can get to. Um, because let, let's not forget, like he was actually playing pretty well earlier this season. That was a long time ago, and you know, a lot there's been a lot of time missed due to injury since then. But he actually had a pretty good start to the season. And I think you do and you should want to see if if he can get back towards that. You know, he's it at least for now seems like he's over that lingering injury enough to play. Um, you know, so the only way to find out like what you have or what he can be for you this season is if he's playing in games. So even if he's not playing as well as Wotherspoon right now, or even Shattenkirk, like you, you have to see what you have. I think, you know, what you have in Parker Wotherspoon, like he's, he's, you know, pretty well established himself as like a really solid third pairing defenseman. I think you kind of know what you have in Shattenkirk. Forbert's the question there where you have to, you know, take take a good look at what you have and decide if if he's a player and a contributor for you the rest of the year or if left side of your defense is something you have to upgrade at the deadline. Yeah, and one of the changes between the Tuesday lineup and the Thursday lineup is that Shattenkirk played Tuesday while their spoon was out and then they switched for Thursday. So while their spoon got back in. Um and also like obviously still Mason Lori I believe is still dealing with the injury from the skate. Um, yeah, so, so that there was an update. So Mark Diver um, got an update from Evan Gold, the province Bruins GM and said he's, he's day to day. He's not going to play this weekend. Um, but fortunately it seems like it's not anything too serious or long-term. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good because, you know, skate, skate blades are like, it can be, a small cut or a deep cut. And yeah, and we saw how scary this year that can be. Um, but yeah, is there trying to, I'm trying to think of who else is like a noticeable up. And I mean, like, obviously you've, you've asked geeky to fill another role, like playing third line center Frederick. So I thought Frederick was a little bit quiet on the, in the Thursday game. Um, not like a hundred percent, like, you know, it's not, it wasn't like he had a terrible game, but 
he had been on a streak too and in a stretch Tuesday he was quiet um I don't know what you guys thought of him since the break like is is he at the level he was at before the break well I think I mean no I mean I think but I think that's just the ebbs and flows of an 82 game season I I don't think it's him less capable I just think it's you know you're not gonna go a full 82 like unless you're David Pasternak and even even the best players have some nights off so I think you know he's probably still just getting you know back into it and also just managing the season. Um, I'm not really worried about him. No, I, me I will neither. Say, like Frederick does seem like someone who always starts slow after a break or at the start of the season. Like I don't really like once he gets going, he he finds a groove and he plays great. But for whatever reason, it does seem like he always takes a, a little bit of time to to get going. Sometimes we, you know, we get time off and we party a little too hard and we, and we spend a little bit too much time on the beach drinking margaritas, but um, speaking from experience, but uh, (laughs) I, I I have an up, I have an up. Okay. Uh, The sky, the sky is back up. It it fell (laughs) Tuesday. Yeah. Are you talking about in sports talk radio, the sky was falling? Well, in Bruins fans, like the, I had, Saw so many people on Twitter who were like, "Oh, you, you know, like can't lose to the Flames. They're not even a good team. Bruins are overrated. Like, you know, they they should have been the ones to get Elias Lindholm. They clearly need help." And it's like, "Oh my God, guys! Like, yeah, it was an awful game, but it was the first game back from All Star break. Like, let's what? let's calm down a little." Word, word. By the way, the- they played against Lindholm the next game, and he was a minus four. <laughs> word Elias to the wise. He was a minus four. They were on the ice for all four goals against. And that line, like with Pedersen, like something bothers me about that line. I'm not 100% sure well, why. For me, like, Elias, Elias Lindholm like, playing wing bothers me. Like he's, he's a center. Yeah, he was added as a center. I don't think he's, and he's ever playing. played wing before. It's very odd. Yeah. And also, like, not like. <sighs> that line I feel like is full of people who are like not a hundred like it's not a gritty line like <laughs> um Pedersen just went down like he like the wind could have blown him down the other day like I don't know it's something about that line just doesn't work for me obviously they have plenty of time to figure out where to put yeah. them and and by the well, way I mean it, also hurt them in that game like took some stupid penalties and stuff so well and and I was gonna say uh, in fairness, Elias Lindholm did score two goals in his first game with the Canucks on Tuesday. So it's not like it's been a two games of disaster. It was one really good game, one really bad. Yeah, I mean, words of the wise, never put too much stock into a game one way or the other. Like it's 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 a it's a long season. Obviously, you look at the overall standings, that tells a bigger story. But if you're a Bruins fan, you don't want to put too much stock into one game or the next. It's just not. We saw last year. It doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't do do you any good and and just because and and that goes for the losses too right like just because you lose a game doesn't isn't this this guy is not following as scott said here's an easy up linus allmark got a shutout um and like he wasn't tested as much as he's been in other games and the the saves weren't as hard as but let's give him credit for i think it was his first shutout of the season um yeah, it was. so well, we got to give him credit for that um he yeah, said I think I worked almost as hard as him, but nonetheless, hmm. <laughs> it hey. is a shutout. Well, he called it like a team shutout, which is true. Yeah. Like that's yeah. 
But he said, it, um, he's like, yeah, it was a team shutout. Like I didn't have to work as hard as normal, but he said, but I'm not going to lie. It always feels good to get a shutout. Like I'd be lying if I told you it wasn't nice, like to just have that. I mean, and it makes up for all the games that he played so well that he didn't get the shutout. It's like, okay, still in the stat sheet, it says shutout. People forget about exactly how that came. And it's like, okay, at the end of the season, there's that shutout. Makes you feel better. Um, looks better on the stat sheet, whatever. Um, he, he got it done. He didn't let in, in anything. No. And, and you know, that, that kept the momentum in the Bruins' favor. Um, there was no letdown, you know, that starts with, a goal in the back of the net and in all of a sudden life for Vancouver, but um, we got to give them credit. All right. So we got to wrap this up. Anything left for the two of you? Yes. We do have to give them credit and, and thank God that you did. Thank God um, that you did. Well, the, the funny thing about the goal, like, so Thatcher Demko played for Vancouver and, and I'm sure everyone saw the, like the viral clip of Swayman trying to give him a hug. And then he, he like walks by and someone tweeted out, I forget who it was like, Thatcher Demko really needs a hug right now. <laughs> Giving him four, it just—it was kind of funny because it came full circle with the the kind of diss, which was accidental. But uh, it was it was well played. Uh, Thatcher Demko did look like he needed a hug. Well, maybe you guys can be the ones to give it to him, Scott. I know you got to go, so we'll wrap yeah. this up here. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday.